Happy Father's Day, everyone. And uh, whether you have kids or not, we want to celebrate you. We appreciate all you do. Um, uh, we want to celebrate the men today. Um, we are grateful for your strength. And um, I know uh, Jordan prayed for you, but I, I want to pray for the men again here. I have some thoughts the Lord just put on my heart to pray over the men. So um, why don't you all join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, you chose the pronoun he to describe yourself. You chose to call yourself our father. And what an example you have set for us dads. And Lord, I just pray for the men of our church. I thank you for them. I thank you for their strength, their wisdom, their ability to focus on a single task and get her done. Uh, thank you that you created men and you created daddies because you knew that we needed them. And I'm so grateful for my own earthly father, Lord. And thank you that he could be here today. Um, Lord, I pray for those men here today who may not have the opportunity to have children, or at least not yet, and I thank you for them, and I pray that you would strengthen them and show them your good purposes in where you've placed them in their life right now. Lord, may they be like the Apostle Paul, who though he had no biological children, he had many spiritual children, and he brought life, joy, and gospel to so many. And Lord, we thank you for the men today and throughout church history who have chosen not to marry and not to have children for the sake of the gospel. And we praise you for their, the profound impact that they have had on this world. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who are dads. What an incredible blessing you have bestowed on them to give them children. Children that are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And I pray that those arrows would hit the mark, Lord. We pray that you would save all of our children and we pray that you would use them for your gospel purposes in this world. Lord, what an incredible responsibility you've given to us as dads. I pray that you would encourage the dads today, Lord. I pray um, that you would lighten their load. Lord, they give so much. I pray that they would know that it's worth it. I pray that they would feel appreciated by their families. And most of all, that they would feel appreciated and valued by you. Lord, I pray that you'd give them wisdom with each child and with each grandchild. Show them how to honor you, how to set a good example, how to relax and have fun and enjoy their kids. And for those with younger kids still at home, Lord, I pray that you'd show them how to discipline their younger kids without anger, but with love and gentleness and consistency, Lord. I pray that you would remind these dads of the gospel Lord, they know they aren't perfect dads. Remind them that their sins are forgiven, that their shortcomings as a father are forgiven, that they are accepted and loved by you because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd help them to enjoy being children. 
Lord, we're so busy being dads that often we forget that more importantly, we are sons. You are our father, and what a joy it is to call you Abba, Father. And Lord, for all of us here today looking for ways to obey the fourth commandment, help us, especially today, but always to honor our fathers, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So men, right now, I want you to sit back and I want you to enjoy being a child, a beloved son of your heavenly father. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 9, our father who art in heaven. He tells us how to address God. And there are many titles that he could have used when he taught us to pray, but he picked this one. He didn't say, our Lord, our master, our king, our God, our creator. He didn't even say Yahweh, the name that God gave himself in the Old Testament at the burning bush, meaning I am. No, he did not choose any of those names. He chose Father. And yes, all the other titles would be true and appropriate because with God, we do have a servant Lord or a master-slave relationship. He is the king. We are his subjects. We are the creation. He is the creator. And if Jesus had used any of those other titles, we would not have been surprised. The Jews would not have been surprised. But they were caught off guard when he addressed God as father. They were upset when Jesus called God his father. They said that he was making himself equal with God, which is true for him. Obviously, when we call God our father, in no way are we saying that we are equal to him. So Jesus taught us when you go to pray, when you talk to God, address him as father. And not just as a father. You know, there are a lot of fathers in this world. But claim him as your father. Say, our father. Because of Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6, I think this relationship with God is very important. I'd argue that the father-son relationship is the most important relationship we have with God. Now, you've heard the old puzzle. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Now, we're Christians. We believe the Bible. We know the chicken came first. God did not create eggs. On day six of creation, he created chickens, and they started laying eggs. Another question, what came first, fishing or evangelism? Now, you might say fishing, of course, because fishing existed long before Jesus ever taught us to spread the gospel. And you'd be right in a sense, because the act of a fishing has occurred for thousands of years before Jesus ever stepped foot in Israel and taught us to share our faith. But the idea of evangelism in the mind of God existed long before God 
invented fish. And long before mankind ever went fishing for the first time. It wasn't as if Jesus came to earth and he thought, hmm, I've got to teach these people about evangelism. What do I got to work with? Oh, fish, fishing. Yeah, that will work great. No, Jesus wanted to teach us about evangelism, so he created fishing. Similarly, before the creation of the world, Jesus knew that he wanted to teach us about the relationship between God and his people, the relationship between Christ and his church. So in order for us to understand that relationship, he created marriage. And marriage has all kinds of benefits. However, primarily, Jesus did not create marriage for your loneliness or for the joy of physical intimacy or for the joy of the procreation of children. He created marriage so that we might understand the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. Similarly, the institution of family was not primarily created to create structure and order in society. It wasn't primarily to give children a safe, healthy place to grow up. No, God created the family to teach us about God. He wanted us to be able to understand the relationship between the Trinity because if you didn't grow up in a family, when God said, I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you would have no idea what he was talking about. And he wanted us to understand our relationship with himself. And the essence of that relationship was fully developed in his mind before he ever made the first daddy. My encouraging word for you today, daddies. You are a means to an end. You are not the end. You are not the ultimate goal. Now, you may have a t-shirt or a coffee cup at home that says, world's best dad. But you're not. You might be getting one this afternoon. You know, my friend Don Stenberg, he has a t-shirt that says, dad of dads. Because king of kings was already taken. <laughs> and there's some truth to that. If you are a father of sons who have kids, then you are a dad of dads. But the greatest dad of all does not walk on two legs. And every daddy that does pales in comparison to our heavenly father. Now, we understand in an earthly way what it means to have a daddy. At least we understand what that's been like for us personally. We all have different kinds of relationships with our father. Different memories of our father if he's passed. And some of those aspects of our relationship with our earthly father have taught us true things about God. And some of those aspects have taught us falsehoods about God. Once I was walking past a liquor store here in Santa Rosa, and I heard a man talking very loudly on his cell phone. 
Two or three times I heard him say, I hate Father's Day. I hate Father's Day. Oh, I hate Father's Day. For many of us, Father's Day is a painful reminder that we could have done better. Or a reminder of how our own dad has hurt us. Some of us grew up with abusive dads or angry dads or dads who didn't keep their word. Some of us have scars on our hearts from verbal attacks from our earthly fathers. Some of us have scars on our bodies. Some of us hear Jesus tell us to call God Father and we want to run. We want to address God by any other title, but not that one. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. And today I want to address this huge issue of God being our Father. And let's consider the question, what does it mean for God to be our Father? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would heal hurts this morning. I pray that you remind us that there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would cause us to walk in intimacy knowing that we have a Heavenly Father who adores us and wants our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, none of us have perfect fathers. Some of us have dads who have reflected God's character better than others. But for the most part, I think we have a good idea of what a dad should be like. We can look at our own dad's strengths and say, I can see how that reflects the character of God. And we can look at our own dad's weaknesses and say, he wasn't being a good daddy when he did that. And in this way, looking at our earthly father, both at his strengths and his weaknesses, we can get a better picture of what it means for God to be our father. Because God has all the strengths of a good daddy and none of the weaknesses of a bad daddy. And for those who have you, of you who have endured the suffering of an abusive, hurtful, and damaging father, I think it can be very healthy for you in times of prayer to cry out and say, God, I thank you that you're not like that. Others of you with more healthy dads can say, God, I thank you for the reflection of you that I see in my dad who has loved me so well. What a joy it is to know that you love me like that, that you love me even better than that. Now, for those of us who would say, I have been that terrible daddy. I have hurt my children so deeply. Rest assured that God can teach his children truth about his relationship with them as father, even through your mistakes, even through your sin. And there is grace for sin. There is grace for the sin that we commit as daddies. Jesus died on the cross for the sins 
that daddies have committed against their children. And as we read the story of the prodigal son, I want you right now not so much to see yourself as daddies, but to see yourselves as sons, sons and daughters. So Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Tim Keller and others have argued that this story is misnamed, that it should not be called the story of the prodigal son, 
but the story of the prodigal sons. Because both of these sons are off in their relationship to their father. Or it should be called the story of the prodigal God. Not that God in any way is a prodigal, but that he is the God of prodigals. He is the God that loves prodigals. He is the deeply caring father that has boundless compassion for his wayward children. The Reformation Study Bible says it should be called the waiting father. Because this loving father is waiting for his prodigal sons to come home. In this story, we see several things very clearly about the fatherhood of God. And I'm going to share six with you today. Number one, the father loves his son. This father is a giver. He's a hugger. He's a gift giver. He spends quality time with his son. He would do anything to help his son. He speaks words of love and acceptance over his son. He wants his son. He is overjoyed at his son's return. There is no doubt at all this father loves his son. Number two, the father's great love for his son causes him to open himself up to be abused, mistreated, saddened, and deeply hurt by his son. Those of you with teenage or grown children, you especially know how deeply your children can hurt you. When you love, you make yourself vulnerable. This son says, give me my inheritance. Now, when are you supposed to get your inheritance? You receive an inheritance when daddy is dead. So in essence, this son is saying, I want to live as if you were dead. This would have been a shocking and unthinkable request in Jesus' day. And the father's response to his son would have been shocking and unthinkable. Because this gracious, generous father says yes. To add insult to injury, this son who bears the name and the reputation of his father goes to the big city and wastes his inheritance on prostitutes, parties, and wild living until he finds himself destitute and penniless, working in the pigsty and eating the pig's food. Number three, the father is quick to forgive his son and welcome him home. When the son comes wandering home, hoping he can at least be a hired man in his father's house, we expect dad to peer through the blinds and scowl and say, well, this better be good. But instead, daddy comes running. In the song, When God Ran, Benny Hester argues that this is the only time we have ever seen God run. This was shocking behavior for the patriarch of a family. 
the lord of the estate. Children ran, women ran. But it was very undignified for men to pull up their robes, bare their legs, and run. When did God run? The moment he saw his son. The father must have been looking for his son. Every day he sat on the front porch hoping he would come home. And the moment he caught the slightest glimpse of his son, he took off running. Number four, the father gives grace to his son. The son says, Father, I have sinned. I'm not fit to be called your son. Please accept me as one of your hired men. I want to go to work, Dad. I want to earn my way back into your favor. And the father says, no. I will not accept you as a hired hand. You're my son. Bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. The best robe was a mark of distinction. If you walked around with one of those kind of robes, you must be someone pretty important. The ring was a mark of authority. Likely, it was the father's signet ring that bore the authority of the father himself. Shoes were the mark of a free man because slaves did not wear shoes. Any of you free people wearing shoes this morning? The son was correct. He does not deserve to be in his father's good graces. He deserves the pigsty. He is unfit to be called even a slave in his father's house. And he doesn't even ask to be a slave. A slave was actually at a higher level than the hired man. You'd find a hired man standing downtown on the corner waiting for work. But the slave always had work. The slave had a place to stay. The slave had three square meals a day. The slave was a loved member of the family. And this son knew he was unfit to be a slave. But he is my son. I will treat him as such. I will give him what he does not deserve. That is the kind of father we have. We deserve his wrath, and yet he lavishes us with his love. We deserve his abandonment, and yet he refuses to see us as anything less than beloved sons and daughters. Number five, the father takes ownership of his son. He runs to his son, embraces him, clothes him, and calls him my son. Phil Collins, back when he played in the band Genesis, I don't know if you knew this, that he actually originally was the drummer for Genesis. And the lead singer left, and they're like, we need someone to sing. Hey, Phil, can you sing? <laughs> Phil Collins, can you sing? <laughs> but Phil Collins, when he was with Genesis, he wrote a song which is the antithesis of the prodigal son story. 
So if you want to hear the opposite of the prodigal son story, go home and listen to this song. In this song, Collins describes a boy growing up in the home of an abusive father. He tells the day of the day when he left home angry and broken, vowing never to return again. But for some reason later, he changed his mind. Like a magnet to metal, like a moth to a flame, this boy goes back home because he still longed for acceptance from his father. And then Collins says, describing the day he returned home, they say that time is a healer and now my wounds are not the same. I rang the bell. You can see the boy standing on the front porch. Rings the doorbell. I rang the bell with my heart in my mouth. I had to hear what he would say. The boy returns and no daddy comes running. He sat me down to talk to me. He looked me straight in the eyes. He said, you're no son. You're no son of mine. You walked out. You left us behind. You're no son. You're no son of mine. After the years had gone by, the daddy only faces his son to abandon him and attack him. Collins continues. Oh, his words, how they hurt me. I'll never forget it. And as the time it went by, I lived to regret it. No embrace, no robe, no ring, no shoes, no welcome. You're no son, you're no son of mine. But where should I go and what should I do? You're no son, you're no son of mine. But I came for here for help. Oh, I came here for you. Well, the years they pass so slowly. I thought about him every day. What would I do if we passed on the street? Would I keep running away? In and out of hiding places, soon I'd have to face the facts. We'd have to sit down and talk it over. And that would mean going back. But the boy learned that there was no going back. There was no home for him to go back to. There was only an angry man who refused to be called daddy. So in this song, we have an innocent son rejected by a wicked, angry father. And that is the antithesis or the opposite, kids, of the prodigal son story. The son in Jesus, in Jesus' parable is a wicked son that deserves rejection. But he comes home to a father who still claims him. A father who still loves him. A father who still wants him. A father who says, there is a place for you here. Not among my hired men, not among my slaves, but at my table. Number six, the father is joyful and happy. He's fussing over his son. He's running around telling everybody, did you hear? Did you hear? My son is back. My son is home. He's ecstatic and he's frantically taking action to make sure his son 
feels loved and welcomed. This is the happiest day for the father. Verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Now in that day, they didn't eat meat very often. It was expensive. They could only afford impossible burgers. And the fattened calf was reserved for special occasions, for big celebrations where the town would be invited. And in the father's eyes, this was one of those special occasions. My son is home. I remember the joy of my own dad when his prodigal son came back to the Lord. My dad found out on Christmas Day, 1996, in the middle of the night. And it was the best Christmas he ever had. This father in Luke 15 is so excited that the older son starts making comparisons. The older son gets jealous. He questions why his father is showing such love to this despicable brother. And the father responds, verse 32. Look at these three words. It was fitting. It was the right thing to do. You know, sometimes it's the right thing to celebrate. I know with graduations and everything, we've been doing a lot of that lately. Especially you Eddies celebrating the youth group, etc. But sometimes it's the right thing to celebrate, to throw a party. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. When we pray our father, we are defining our relationship with God. We're coming to him as children. We're believing that he loves us and claims us and wants us. I want to close with two questions and a statement and a couple stories. So Jesus' disciples, they come to Jesus in Matthew 18 and they ask this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, the other disciples were ticked off. You might be ticked off that they asked that question, but Jesus was not. And Jesus will answer that question, but first he answers the question that they did not ask, which is, how do you get in? How do you gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Because if you don't make it in, it doesn't really matter if you know how to be great. How do you gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven? And to illustrate, Jesus calls over a little child and he says, Matthew 18, 3, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, maybe you're the person that has got it all together. Maybe you're the big man on the street. And Jesus would say, if that's you, and that continues to be you, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Only children get in. Only people who will come to God see themselves as children, see themselves as being in need, 
Children need to be taken care of. And so do you. And so do I. Only those who see themselves as children and look to him as father will get in to the kingdom of heaven. You don't get in by telling God how much you can do for him. Maybe you think you're his first round draft pick. You get in by trusting what God has already done for you. That's why it is fitting to call this the prodigal son's story. Because both of these sons are far from the gospel. Both of them do not understand the father's love. One of them comes to him and says, Dad, I'll work it off. I'll be one of your hired hands. The other son told his father, I've been working hard, Dad. Look, these many years I have served you. But that's not how you get in. You don't get into the kingdom of God by your efforts. No matter how good or how poor they are, you get in by grace or you don't get in at all. You come to God as a child, a helpless child, and you cry out these two words, save me. First, Jesus answers the question, how do you get in? Then he goes back to the question that they asked, who is the greatest? That's an important question. You need to know the answer to that question. We should want to be great in God's eyes. We should want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And he says in Matthew 18, verse 4, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, Jesus brings it back to the place of a child. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who humbles himself as a child. And that's what we've got to do. I've got to see myself as a child and to get comfortable calling God Daddy. Or as the Bible says, Abba, Father. And maybe you've heard a child say, my daddy is bigger than your daddy. You know, there's something in a child that takes great pride in the strength of his father. My daddy's strong. He's smart. He can protect me. He's always available for me. Having God as father means we can always confidently access his presence. You can always walk into the presence of God and know that you will be accepted. You will not be turned away. One pastor described a child running up to him and wrapping his arms around his legs. The child mistakenly had thought that the pastor was his dad. And the child had complete confidence he would be warmly greeted, accepted, and loved. Until he looked up and he realized this was not his daddy. And at that moment, the child ran away. Do you run up to God with that level of confidence, knowing that he will accept you and love you? Because he will. Jesus died on the cross so that you can have full access. 
You can run up to your heavenly daddy without hesitation, and he will wrap his loving arms around you. Remember, he's a hugger. Around the time of the Civil War, a young poor boy determined that he was going to speak to the president about some issues. This boy had some concerns about the country that he wanted to talk about. And he told another boy in the crowd, I want to speak with the president, but I just can't get to him. I can't get access. The other boy said, okay, follow me. I'll take you to the president. So the poor boy followed this other boy through the crowd, past the guards, and right up to where the president was. The poor boy was amazed. How did you do that? The other boy responded, I can always talk to the president. He's my dad. And despite the fact that we have so mistreated our Heavenly Father and wasted his resources, he's still our dad. He's still our Father, and we have access to him. And he is a joyful, happy father who is delighted to have us as his children. He forgives our sins. He clothes us with royal robes, with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. He welcomes us into his family. He claims us as his own, and he so desires our good. 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and I want you to think of this question as I do, and the question is this, do you see it? Do you see it? John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us? Are you starting to see? See what kind of love the Father has given to us? that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we'll, we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, as our loving heavenly father. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Oh God, we are the prodigals. We have tried so hard to work it off, to earn the right to be called valuable. And you come running to us to correct our misunderstanding, to tell us that it's not about us earning your favor, because that was already earned by Jesus Christ. Lord, you wrap your loving arms around us. You put a robe of righteousness on us and a ring on our finger and shoes on our feet. Lord, we praise you that today we are free in Christ. Lord, we come to you ready to call you master, but you refuse to accept us as slaves because you want us back as sons and daughters. You throw a party because we're back together again. What a loving heavenly father you are. Lord, I pray for those this morning who feel like they have been poor dads. I pray that you'd help them to know and feel your love for them as Abba Father. 
Lord, help us as earthly dads who fail so often. Help us to receive the forgiveness that you have for us in Christ. You're a good father. With fierce devotion, you love us and care for us. You discipline us. You are strong when we are weak. You are wise when we play the fool. You lavish your love on us day after day after day. We love you. You are our dear Heavenly Father.